Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. All right, so everybody's doing well? Good, good. So I was reading this story the other day, and it was about these, these uh, three friends that wanted to go on this. Uh, they wanted to travel the world. To, and to make a long story short, they got stranded on this uh, deserted island. And they were there for a good bit. They were there probably maybe like two years. And so they were walking along the beach, and they saw this, this bottle in the sand. So they went up to it, and one of them picked it up and wiped the sand off of it, and this genie popped out. So I didn't say it was historical, but uh, this genie popped out, and uh, he said, well, well, normally I give three wishes to the person that rubs the bottle, bottle because, but since there's three of you here, you know, I'll give one wish to each of you. And so the first one said, you know, I've been here for a long time. I really miss my family. I have a wife and kids. I wish that I could be back with my family. And so instantly the person disappeared and they were back with their family. And the second person gets up and they kind of had a similar thoughts. And, you know, I haven't seen my family. I'd love to see my family. And, you know, I wish I could be with my family. And so, boom, the guy disappears and goes back with his family. And then the third one's there kind of sitting a little perplexed and wasn't sure. And he wasn't really saying anything. And, and uh, he, he began to speak and he said, you know, I really don't have a family back home. And I, I think it's gonna, I'm going to be really lonely. So I really wish my friends could come back and be with me. <laughs> so there's no moral of the story with this. Maybe if you're going to go on a world travel, choose your friends wisely. Or maybe that your desires affect those around you. Yeah, but uh, not it really, there was... A, yeah, so I thought I'd, uh, I thought I'd open uh, uh, the service up with an historical account. Uh, so today I actually want to talk about stewarding the gift of desire. And so uh, there's a few questions that I have that I want to start out with, and they're rhetorical, so you don't have to, you're just answering them in your mind. But do our desires master us? Or do we master our desires? Are you afraid to desire? Have you ever been disappointed again and again and again? And then you're like, I'm just not going to even desire anymore. I'm just going to try to survive my life. <laughs> I'm sure all of us have been there at some point. Can we trust our desires? You know, some of us are like, well, we got that that angel and that, that devil on the side of our shoulders, can we trust our desires? Can desire mature? How many of you have the same desires from when you were eight years old? <laughs> Probably, hopefully, hopefully not. Lastly, have you lost desire? 
So I want to define desire so that we're kind of all on the same page. But there are 27 Hebrew words translated desire in the Old Testament. Their meanings are to yearn for, to long after, to seek, to delight in, to have pleasure. They also have negative connotations, which is to covet, to lust after, to greed, or to have a rebellious will. And that's also, in, on the positive side, to have will. So these words generally are associated with the human wants, emotions, cravings, sexual longings, as well as our desire for God. In the New Testament, the meaning is very similar. Your will to be willing or to want pleasure, enjoyment, to strive for, to long to have or to be something, holy zeal. And that's also in the negative to lust or to have jealousy. Um, I actually found this dictionary. Um, it's a kid's dictionary. And I really like a lot of the definitions in there because they kind of, have you ever had a kid say something and you're like, well, yeah, that just makes sense. <laughs> the kid's uh, definition was the feeling of wanting something. The feeling of wanting something. So I wanted to define desire because it reveals an important truth about it. Desire is our internal motivator. Yeah. Say it with me. Desire, Desire. is my Desire. internal motivator. So this desire is actually a gift. It's actually an, an innate ability, meaning that it's actually a part of our DNA. It's an essential part of our existence, right? Every single person on the face of the earth has the ability to desire, right? So it's a function of the human design, who were we designed by? When God created mankind, he instilled within them the ability to desire to be motivated by it. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So that innate ability to desire is, in all humans is actually, you can trace it back to who God is. So because we have desire, it's actually the nature of who God is. And although God lacks nothing, this is really important to understand, although God lacks nothing or he's in need of anything, God is a God full of passion and desire. So desire is not dependent upon need. Okay, I want to say that again. Desire is not dependent upon need. How many of you desire things that you do not need? Right? Like, you can desire certain needs in your life. I'm not, like, the need for acceptance. You can desire those things. But desire, and I'll say it again, is not dependent upon need. Because God is full of desire, but he has no need. He's not dependent upon anyone else. Are you guys tracking with me? So my simple definition of desire is to see, to want, and to pursue. Okay, follow me. To see or to perceive, right? You go into the store. I see, I perceive. I desire. I long for. And then I pursue. I pull out the wallet, right? Are you guys following me? 
ice cream cake. So you can see this in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God saw the world. He saw the state of the world. He saw the separation, but he loved, right? So he desired a, a connection. He desired a reconciliation. And then what does it say? He gave. So he pursued, right? He came into the world. So desire is to see or to perceive, to long for, to want, and then to pursue. So he gave action to his passion. And we are made in his likeness to see, to desire, and to pursue. So desire is in our, our internal motivator, which fuels our perception. I'm going to say that again. Desire is our internal motivator, but it's what fuels our perception. So what comes first? What we see comes first, not what we desire. So our perception of ourselves, of others, of God. Genesis 3, 6. Let me see if you guys can find where to see, to want, to pursue. When the woman saw, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree and was good for, good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. So this verse confirms that the ability to desire was there before the fall. Okay? So this is a part of our DNA. It's actually a function of our existence. It's a function of our design. To see, to want, or to desire, and then to pursue. Okay, the reason I'm going into all this is because a lot of times we have a kind of funky relationship with our desires. And sometimes, like I said, sometimes we feel like we can't trust them. But actually, desire is a gift from God. Adam and Eve were accustomed to seeing, to desiring, and pursuing. So this God-given ability is purposeful, but it's also powerful. So at that point in history, before sin, the boundaries to fulfill desire were limited to do not eat of this tree. Okay? So think about this. Think of the freedom that Adam and Eve had. To see, to want, and to pursue. But what was the boundary? Not of this tree. So desire is really interconnected with freedom. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when desire comes, or another version would say desire fulfilled, but when the desire is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. So it was not uncommon for Adam and Eve to see, to desire, and to pursue. Say with me, desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So part of the purpose of desire is that when it is fulfilled, it produces a harvest 
of life. Are you guys seeing God's original design here? To see, to want, to pursue was actually in us before the fall. It's actually part of our design. And in in, uh, Proverbs, it says, when the desire comes fulfilled, it's actually a tree of life. Genesis 31, Genesis 1, 31. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed, it was very good. What did he say was very good? The gift of desire that he placed within man. This tells me that desire from the beginning was good, period. Period. And I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but there's no evil desires. There is desire. And then I'll talk a little bit about that then. It was imparted to us for a purpose so that we could be powerful and free. To see, to desire, to pursue is the essence of freedom. Let's go back to the garden. The boundary was the tree, but everything else, they had freedom to see, to want, and to pursue. Come on, guys. But how many times are we like, I don't trust myself to see, to want, and to pursue? Have you ever been there before? A lot of times we're like, I don't want to step outside of God's plan. But desire was a gift from him. And I'm going to get into it so that that we kind of know the bounds. But from the beginning, desire was good, period. To see, to want, and to pursue. But the opposite is true. When we use our desire for evil, it will bind us and render us powerless. So the purpose of desire is actually freedom. But when we use desire for evil, it actually binds us and renders us powerless. You know, my mom puts a lot of powerful people quotes up. So here's one for you. Now, if you put it up, please quote it correctly because she has this tendency to quote things. And I'm like, sort of, sort of, yeah. Oh, well, I guess. Powerful people know how to harness desire. Because desire is good, but it's very powerful. Desire is good, but it's very powerful. When I was studying desire, it seemed that most people believed that there was a good desire and there were evil desires. Two separate entities. There was an angel on one side. Have you ever seen that cartoon? The angel on one side, devil on the other. Now, we're mature believers here. We know. Come on. Right? But I don't believe there's two entities of desire. I believe that there's desire and God calls it good. 
So why does he call it good? Because desire is the forerunner of freedom. He came to set us free, right? Free indeed. Free for sure. To see, to, to desire, to pursue. Why did God place a boundary? So he said, I wanted to create a people that are like me, that have desire, but I'm going to put a boundary. Why did God put that tree in there? Because there wouldn't be freedom if there wasn't an option. There won't be freedom if there wasn't an option. Excuse me. So when Adam and Eve ate the fruit of the tree, it was a perversion of a gift. What was the gift? The gift was desire. Why? Because a lie was believed. The lie affected how they saw, which fueled the action to sin. What did I, what, what's the order here? To see or to perceive then to want or to desire, and then to pursue. Why did they pursue after sin? Because they believed a lie. It actually affected their perception. Are you guys following me? So why did they desire evil? Because they believed a lie. If you're struggling with things within your life, it's not because a part of you has this evil desire is because first you're believing a lie about yourself, about others, or about God. It begins there. It starts there. And so if we're always trying to attack the desire, we're putting the cart before the horse. So desire is what fuels my perception. Desire is what fuels my perception. I have a perception about a person, and whatever I'm desiring in that situation, that fuels my perception to either honor or to sin against. How many of you know when you have a wrong perception about someone, it's easy to fall into sin against them? When you believe a lie about someone, and maybe it is true in the natural, but you're not seeing it through Christ's eyes, it will lead you to sin against them in your mind, in your actions, with others. Are you guys following me where this is going? I I think that so much focus has been on control your desires. No. Your desires... Your desires are a reaction to your perception. So therefore, the moral outcome of desire is a reflection of what I believe to be true. You don't have good and evil desires battling it out on the inside of you. You have the gift of desire and God calls it good. That kind of puts a different perspective on how you handle your desires. Because how can you try to push it down and resist it if God calls desire good in the first place? 
But it goes back to desire is what fuels, fuels my perception. So then you have people walking around, hopeless, disappointed, wandering around, spiritually speaking. Why? Because they're trying to suppress desire. And desire is a gift. Since desire can be traced back to the nature of God in his heart, from the beginning he placed it as a key component in the heart of mankind. We must recognize that desire is a powerful gift from God that requires cultivation, understanding, and stewardship, as well as accountability. Accountability. A lot of people get scared when we say accountability because we think, stop you from sinning. And I think either it was Joyce Myers or Chris Valentin, but how he defined accountability was giving account, giving an account for your ability. So if desire is an ability, accountability with desire is give an account for how you're stewarding, how you're cultivating, how you're understanding the desire that you've been given. Are we equipped to harness the power of desire? Much of the church has created strategies that suppress desire rather than empowering the believer to activate and steward it. If we're going to be a free people, a powerful people, we must be able to harness the power of desire, not suppress it. If we want... Desire is the forerunner of freedom. It's the essence of it. To see, to want, and to pursue. That's ultimate freedom, right? To see it, to perceive, to see it, uh, to desire it, and go for it, right? Isn't that ultimate freedom? To see, to want, and go for it? But if we suppress it, we're suppressing a gift that's been given to us. But we are to cultivate it and we are to steward it and to understand it. Let me just say this. If you don't understand something, generally you will suppress it. I don't know what this emotion is going on right inside of me, so I'm just going to push it down. (sighs) Remember, God calls it good. Having desire and having our desires fulfilled should be a part of the normal Christian life. Proverbs 13, 12, hope deferred makes the heart sick. When desires don't come, it makes the heart sick. And out of the overflow of the heart, right? Or our heart is, our heart is the rudder to our life. And if desires don't come fulfilled, our rudder becomes jacked up. But hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes or when it is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. Meaning when desires come, there is a a harvest of life. Mm -hmm. And that life is all encompassing, right? It's not just length of life. It's also joy and freedom and liberty and excitement, right? Loving life. So basically, 
What I just did there was said, desire is good. Now this part, how do we steward it? So the first and most important step in stewarding the gift of desire is to have proper perspective. Because where does it all begin? It begins in how you see. All right, we got a long scripture verse for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. But I wanted to give this scripture verse because it actually encompasses all the points of this. So then from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. So what is this dealing with? Our perception of others. Remember, if we're going to steward desire, right? If we're going to steward it and we're going to understand it and we're going to cultivate it, we have to have proper perspective. So the first one here is a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by the outward appearance. For, for that's how we once viewed the anointed one. Wow. Excuse me. But, but no longer do we see him uh, with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. So what, what perspective is this? We just dealt with people. What is the new perspective here? Us. In Christ, I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. I'm fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted us, he's entrusted us to uh, the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. I love that. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that he who did, um, yeah, so let's go to verse 21. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through the union, through our union with him. So what perspective is that now? It's our perspective of our relationship with God. Remember, desire is, is what fuels our perception. So if our perception is accurate about others, where's, where's that desire going to lead us? To life. A tree of life in that relationship. If we have proper perspectives of ourself, of who we are in Christ, What's that going to produce? A tree of life within us. If we have proper perspective or have righteousness, right standing with God, and we perceive ourselves through Christ, 
What's it going to do with our desire with God? As believers, we were commanded to view, to perceive our world through the lens of Christ. We are to perceive others through Christ. What does it say? So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. And it's not just the clothes that they wear. It's how they're responding to you right now. He's saying, I refuse to look at what's going on in the outside. See through how I see them. See through the lens of Christ. Is everybody tracking with me? All right, I came up with a new slogan. Before it was like, what was it? Does that make sense? Hey, now it's like, are you tracking with me? All right. Now you ruined it because now it's coming back. So we are to perceive our relationship with God through Christ, right? And to perceive ourselves through Christ. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, has become a new, become an entirely new creation, all that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Galatians 5.24 And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So how we relate to desire has changed because of Christ. Why? Because it is wrong for a believer to look at their desires through their flesh. Why? Because it's been crucified. So our perspective is through Christ, not the flesh. It's easy to think that desires are what control us because they are that internal motivator. But the truth is what we see and how we perceive it or what we believe is what ultimately moves us. Desire, desires aren't the instigator of behavior. They're just responding to our perception. I said this a couple different ways a bunch of times, but it's so important. Desire is not the instigator of behavior. It's just responding to our perception. Romans 13, 14. Instead, fully immerse yourselves into the Lord Jesus, the anointed one, and don't waste even a moment thought. What is our thought, our perception, on your former identity to awaken selfish Desires. Remember, we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. What does he say? Don't even waste a moment Mm -hmm. thinking about the old self. Mm -hmm. Why? Because it will awaken desires. The desires of the old, right? Why? Because I see or I perceive I want and I pursue. If we look through our desires through the flesh, we're going to perceive things and we're going to want things that are against our identity. So because we're a new creation, my attention has shifted. My attention has been shifted from the old man, or let me say actually a dead man, 
And death produces after its own kind. So if we're looking through the eyes of the old man, we're going to desire things like the old man wants. But Paul is saying, don't even waste a thought on the old self. Why? Because it will awaken desires. Does this make sense? Because what... What fuels our perception, or our perception fuels our desires. Are you guys seeing where I'm going with this? It's like if we see it through the old way, if we see it through the flesh, we will desire fleshly things. So our attention shouldn't be on dealing with our desires. Our attention should be seeing others, seeing ourselves, seeing our relationship with God through Christ. Does this make sense? There you go, Danny. Actually, I think that was a good time to add that there. Does that make sense? How we perceive informs our desires, not the other way around. You don't have to struggle to control your desires. The challenge is to see our world through the lens of Christ. Actually, Paul speaks of this challenge. Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. And if you look at the whole uh, chapter in context, Paul is speaking of one compelling focus, to know, to see, to experience a life through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You can look at it, it's in Philippians 3. But his whole mindset, his whole perspective is through Christ. And so what is he saying? It's not that I've already attained it. It's not that I'm already perfect in it, but I press on. And then we later see that he says, keeping the eye, keeping my eye on the prize. Philippians 3.14, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Can you see why it's imperative to see through proper perspectives through Christ if we want to cultivate, understand, and steward our desires? And to be honest, I have like three or four uh, ways that we can steward, but really this is the biggest battle right here. If we can win the battle of seeing through Christ, everything else yeah. Just, yeah. is just, just little tips and pointers, really. Don't forget, desire is a gift from our creator. It's a part of his nature, and it's a part of my nature. And he gave us this gift because desire is what makes us free. To see, to, pers- to, see, to want, to pursue. If he called us to be free, desire is imperative. It is so imperative to, to steward desire. What does he say? Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. So that's the first one. The first one is to have proper perspective. How do you steward desire? How do you cultivate desire? You have proper perspective. And as a believer, proper perspective is to perceive others through Christ, to perceive ourselves through Christ, and uh, perceive our relationship with God through Christ. So like I said, if, if you got that down, you won the biggest battle. 
But here's a couple of other pointers. How do we steward our desire? We have to dare to take a risk. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. This verse is really essential to understanding God's plan and our desires. There's two parts to this. The heart of man. It says it plans. The word plans means to calculate, to analyze. Those are for all our analytical people. This one's for our free birds. To imagine. To dream. To innovate. To consider. To be mindful of. Think about this. It says the heart of man plans. He analyzes. He dreams. He's, he considers. He calculates. But if we are looking through the old man, you cannot trust your heart. Remember, I said that first step was most important. How can you trust your heart? Is to see your world through Christ. Then it says, establish his steps to be firm, to be stable, to make ready, to set up. If we are going to cultivate our desires, our heart must be willing to plan. If we are going to cultivate our desires, you have to be willing to calculate. You have to be willing to dream. You have to be willing to analyze. I'm talking to everybody here because some people are like, dream, I don't dream, what's a dream? Oh, calculate, I got that. (laughs) To imagine, oh, that's me. You must dare to dream. You must believe. You must dare to envision. This goes back to the question, can you trust your desires? Well, yes, if you are in Christ. Can you trust your desires? Yes, you can. If you are looking through the lens of Christ. You will never understand, cultivate, steward the gift of desire if you're afraid of it. How many of you have ever had to make a big step for the Lord? And what are you doing? Is my heart right? Is my heart right? Can I trust what's going on inside of me? Creating me, God. These things aren't bad, right? But it's all around fear. Can my heart be trusted? Yes, if you're looking through others, yourself, and your relationship with God through Christ. Faith 101, you have to be willing to step out of the boat for your feet to be established. What what was the verse? What does it say? The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Established means to be firm, to be stable, to set up. Are you seeing the order here? Matthew 14, 28. Then Peter called him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. The heart of man plans. Whoa, it's Jesus out there. 
One, it'd be so cool. <laughs> this is extra biblical. <laughs> Wouldn't it be so cool? Wouldn't it be awesome? How is this working? This definitely isn't Peter. How are the waves working and how is he walking? No, that would be someone else. But Peter's like, he's out there. I want to be there. If that, I love that. If that's you. <laughs> I guess they didn't have a concept of deceiving spirits back then. <laughs> Matthew 14, 29, what does Jesus say? Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on, on the water towards Jesus. The Lord establishes his steps. Wow, that's really good. Are you guys seeing this? Whose idea was it to go get out of the boat? Did Jesus say, who wants to come out here with me? No. Peter said, oh, I have an idea. I have a dream. I want to be, probably he was thinking, I want to be the first one out of the boat so I get credit for this, you know, kind of thing. Right? So Peter, his heart dreams. He thinks, he calculates, he imagines. And when he steps out on, on the water, which should not be established in the natural realm, they become established. Why? What's the verse say? The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. If you don't trust your desires, you won't dare to believe. If you don't trust your heart, you won't step out of the boat. You're like, well, that's not the whole story. I'm getting there. Matthew 14, 30. But when he saw the strong wind and waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. It wasn't until he saw something different than the eyes of Jesus that his feet, he lost, he lost, um, I don't know, substance, right? And he began to sink. But what happened? His eyes turned away. From Jesus. And I love this. Matthew 14, 31. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Well, God, if I step out and I do this and I go after this, and what if this happens? Immediately, yeah. Jesus reached out and grabbed him. Amen. Come on, guys. Many people are so afraid to step outside of God's plan, calling, and purpose. I believe you can't if you're in Christ. That's scary for some, right? But if you're in Christ, and let me say this. I will say this. I'm saying all, I'm saying all these things not in the context of just you and Jesus. I'm saying it in the context of community. How do we cultivate desire? Not just between you and the Holy Spirit, but those around you. Yes. How can we trust our desires? We got people around us. Yes. that say, eh, I don't know about that one. I think you're looking through yourself on that one. <laughs> right? It's good to be in family. Yeah. Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already attained... Or I'm already perfected, but I press on. I keep my eyes fixed on the prize. I want you guys to really get this. 
When your eyes are set, you can trust what's in your heart. When your eyes are set, you can trust what's in your heart. I mean, that, that should bring freedom to a lot of people right there. I remember when Laura and Larry were kind of in this process of years of getting words about this business, right? Right? And eventually they stepped out, right? If your eyes are set, you can trust your heart. Well, is this business the right business? I'm sure that was the question because I remember a couple different businesses over the years, right? The paintball business. Yeah, I don't. The what? Computer business, right? But when your heart or when your eyes are set, you can trust your heart. Well, what if I fall? Immediately, Amen. he reached out and grabbed. Amen. Come on, guys. Amen. If we are going to steward our desires, we have to dare to take a risk. Okay, so the first one is what? Our perception has to be correct or to see our world around us through Christ. The second one is dare to take a risk. The third one is give your desire substance to burn. If not, they'll fade out. Leviticus, how many of you have ever struggled with momentary passions? Momentary passions. This would be so awesome. Next morning, like, I don't even remember what I, I didn't write it down. It just floated away. <laughs> these desires and these passions stir up, or you're in the presence of God, and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then you're like, they're fleeting, Right? But you have to give your desire substance to burn if they're going to have longevity. Leviticus 9.24. Don't want to cut into cake time. All right. You know, I think last time I was like five minutes early, so that should give me five minutes grace now. Okay. All right. Leviticus 9.24. A fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portion of the altar. So what happens is the Lord shows up, fire comes out and lights the offering. Everybody on the same page? I'm trying to go through this faster. So these were the instructions that God gives before he lights the fire. So what did we just read? God lit the fire, right? This is before it. Leviticus 6, 12 through 13. The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. This is before the Lord lights the fire. Are you guys seeing this? Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire and burn the fat of the fellowship offering on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continually. It must not go out. Who is he speaking to? The priest. How many of you are priests in here? Every single person. So what happens later? God shows up and actually lights the fire. The priest didn't like, uh, like strike a match and they're like, let's get this thing going. Actually, God shows up and lights the fire. But this was the instruction before it. Don't let it go out. Come on. How many of us experience God lighting a fire within us, a passion, a desire, a dream, a conviction, and over time it seemed to, di- to dim? 
This verse tells us that it is God who lights the fire, but he gives us the responsibility over to us to fuel the fire. What did the priests do every day? They came out and put wood on the fire to keep it burning. Every day they would stoke it. Desires can't live in the ethereal in thought. They can't just be an idea or a dream. We don't want our lives to be controlled by fleeting passions. We combat this by giving substance to our passions. What wood are you laying on the fire of your desires? Let's get real personal here. What wood are you laying on the fire of your desires? You know, God, not speaking of me, but, you know, I really feel God has called me to worship. Or let's be more, God has called me to be a worship leader. Have you bought a guitar? (laughs) Have you paid for lessons? Do you get around other musicians? Do you take time to practice? Do you create an atmosphere of worship in your daily life? Whoa! Uh Whoa, God gave me this desire. He lit this fire within me. Do you put wood on the, do you put wood on it? Do you give it substance to burn? Well, you know, God called me to business. Find and research books on business. (laughs) Be the best employee that you could be. Invest money into your idea. There was a certain point where you got, we're going to have to put our wallet where we're talking about this, right? Yes, still, right? Are you giving substance to your desires? You know, God, God lit this fire within me for healing. Well, do you seek out people to pray for? Do you begin your day with healing scriptures? Do you listen to podcasts that stir faith for healing? Do you seek out testimonies for healing? Are you giving substance to your desires? Come on. See, God lights the fire, but it was the priest's job to keep it burning. Yeah, good word right there. (laughs) Well, didn't you, didn't you, uh, Actually, this sermon was kind of like, I was like, oh, this will go with what you're, yeah, yeah, feeds off of it. All right, so I talked about worship, I talked about business, I talked about uh, healing, a passion for healing. Right now, insert your desire. Just, let's just take a few seconds. What substance am I giving it to burn? Just take a moment, let's think about it. Or Holy Spirit. Reveal to me what I could do to lay on the fire of the desire that you lit within me. Because a lot of times fear likes to keep desires in the ethereal. Wouldn't this be great? Wouldn't this be wonderful? Oh, wouldn't that? I just see it. Give it substance to burn. 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the spirit of God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 
What is a gift that has been given? Now, the, the gift of the desire is not a gift of the Spirit, right? We understand that. But it's a gift that's been given to us from, cre- from the beginning of creation. How are we stirring or fanning the flame of that gift? But look at this, fan into flame, and then what's the next statement it makes? God has not given you a spirit of fear. Are you guys seeing this? Fear will always replace a dim gifting. Say that again. Fear will always replace a dim gifting. When you don't give your desire substance, what comes in to replace it? Fear. What if this? 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 A stirred up gift will always burn brighter than fear. If you give your desire substance, it will always burn brighter than fear. Come on now. Amen. Thank you. Awesome. So what were they? To perceive our world through Christ, to dare to take a risk, give your desire substance to burn, and the last one, and we say amen to that. I can hear you over here, Danny. (laughs) Delight yourself in the Lord. Psalms 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. This is kind of intertwined with viewing your world through Christ. So this verse instructs us how to desire, how desire is cultivated, developed, and stewarded in the life of the believer. The word delight, delight is a verb, And verbs express action. They can express a physical action or a mental action or a state of being. This Hebrew word is reflective, not reflective, reflexive, meaning directed or turned back on itself. This is the type of verb it is, meaning the action comes back onto the subject. The delight I have in the Lord is extended back to Me, this is the type of verb it is, to delight. So what does it say? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you. It's reflexive, meaning directed or turned back to itself. Also, it refers to delight yourself. The delight turns back on itself. What does that mean? It means you're commanding yourself to delight. When it says, delight yourself in the Lord, what is it saying? It's saying, turn it back onto you. Delight yourself. So you are commanding your heart to be delighted. Delighting yourself in the Lord actually changes you. Are you seeing how this works? This to delight is you're actually commanding yourself. And because you command yourself, it's actually coming back on you. 
Do you see this cycle? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire. Do you see how this cycle is? A lot of times we talk about cycles of like cycles of depression, cycles of this. This is a good cycle, people. Okay. It's reflective. It's coming back on you. But it first starts with commanding yourself. Delight in Hebrew, this is awesome. All right, this is awesome, people. I know we're almost done. We are almost done. I promise you that. Travis, we are almost done. All right. We are flying into Atlanta. We're on the, you know, all right. See, you make it longer when you make these jokes. Okay. All right. Delight in the Hebrew means, listen to this. Okay. It all, the root word for it actually means to be soft. Now, obviously, it can be expressed to be happy in or to be merry over, right? But the root of it actually means to be soft. How does the scripture define a rebellious heart? A hard heart. What is it saying? Delight yourself in the Lord. Soften your heart. Actually, I'm getting like... Holy Spirit vibes from Harold right now. No, he's like, no, but I'm like feeling it. Like normally I don't feel preaching. I'm like, okay, this is what I wrote down. This is what I'm going to say, but I'm feeling it right now. I know there's miracles. All right. So when I delight myself, I command myself to be soft in the Lord. Why soft? Why would uh, another word be chosen? This verse ultimately points us to the fulfillment of our desires. This verse ultimately points us to the fulfillment of our desires. What are desires fulfilled? They're a tree of life. How is a tree of life? How do we reap the harvest of a tree of life? We soften ourselves in the Lord and we produce a harvest or fulfilled desires. Does this make sense? How then does the seed of desire become developed and matured? It must be planted in the heart of God. We are entrusting our desires to him, which is why he gives us the desires of our heart, but they are coming back to us fully matured and developed. So here's the process of fulfilled desires. Here's the process. He plants the seeds within us, right? He lights the fire. He plants the seed within us. Remember, desires can't be ethereal, right? We need to give them substance. And then we plant the seed back within him. How many of you had to plant your desires back in the Lord? God, you gave this to me. Yeah, actually give it back to me. What is he saying? Trust me. But what is happening while this is going on? I command myself to soften my heart. Are you guys tracking with me? All right. And in the heart of God, the seed can grow and develop. Where do the seeds of desire grow and develop? Actually, in the heart of God. 
Why? Because we're entrusting them to him and we are cultivating our heart to soften it. When a farmer prepares the ground for seed, what does he do? Plows it. He softens it. And in the heart of God, the seed can grow and develop. During this time is where the soil of our heart is prepared to receive the desire back. When the fullness of time has come, what is the fullness of time? Your desire is actually being fulfilled. When the fullness of time has come, the desires is planted back into us. The desires are fully developed and matured in the heart of God. When we receive them, they are coming as the fulfillment of the promise. Then we are responsible to steward, not the desire, but the actualization of the desire, which is the fulfillment of the promise. So what are we actually really stewarding? We're actually stewarding the fulfillment of the promise. But it first must be entrusted back to him. Are you guys following me? Desire begins with trust and ends in stewardship. I'll say it again. Desire begins with trust and ends with stewardship. So I really hope that I challenged you today to think about desires in a new way. That it is a gift from God and it is good. You're not battling against your desires. What is the challenge? It's actually our perception. So we're not battling our desires because if we were, we would be battling a gift. And God calls that gift good. And if we are to steward the gift well, it can lead us into new dimensions of freedom. To see, to want, to pursue is the essence of freedom. Lord, we just thank you. We just thank you. God is good. Thank you, Father. Can we just pray in tongues for a few seconds? Lord, let this word go deep within our hearts, God. This word go deep in our hearts, God. Let this word go deep in our hearts, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. The reason I'm having you pray in tongues is because there was just a lot of information that was poured out. But I'm just, Lord, we just ask the Holy Spirit just to work it all out. Lord, help us remember the things that we need to remember. Lord, give life to things that, uh, or quicken those things within us, God. Thank you, Father. Lord, we receive that word. We receive it that you call desire good. Lord, we receive it.
In Jesus' name, amen.